I got good news. It's January 1st, so we're here. We made it. Um, so for many of you, it's, it's not a surprise. What we're talking about today has to do with making changes for the new year. And I thought a great way for us to get started is for me to read my goals for 2006. So I just want to read you some of my personal goals that I made uh, to grow in 2006. So, um, so bear with me for a second. Incorporate my relationship with God in more everyday aspects of my life. Witness to two people unashamed and blatantly. Maintain a 3.8 GPA. Save $2,000. Invest budget. Go on a date. Uh, go to a Philadelphia sporting event, go to a Philadelphia concert, do one special activity for my family, all immediate, and eat one meal with my grandmothers. So there's, there's about 16 things there. Um, I, I was pretty ambitious, and I, I lived in Missouri for four or five months, and I remember a phrase that they would used to say. I thought it was positive until I really realized. They'd say, oh, bless your heart. So when I look at 2006, Peter, what I want to say is, oh, bless your heart. And the reason I want to say that is because looking back on that 11 years ago, was I was so focused on dealing with surface issues. I was so focused on, I just need to change in this area. And I'm, I'm looking at this, one of the things I wrote down here was, was I want to get to know someone who intimidates me or who I'm jealous of. And as I think about that and looking back on that, what I really, I was trying to fix a problem on the surface that was really a root problem in my heart and in my mind. I was dealing with insecurity anxiety. You know, I was trying to make things happen without asking, why is this even a problem in my life? Today, what we're going to talk about is this, and I want to just give you the main idea right up front. What you think determines what you practice. What you think determines what you practice. Over these next couple weeks, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more in the sermon today, but we are going to make resolutions to get on a budget or to lose weight or to spend more time with family, and we are going to try surface solutions to deal with a root heart problem, but until you deal with the issue inside of you, nothing will actually change on the outside of you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 4. We're going to be focusing on Philippians 4, 8, and 9, but we're going to read Philippians uh, 4 through 9 because I feel like it, it's going to help set the stage, set up those two verses. Just to give you a little background on this passage to be helpful, Paul is the author of Philippians. He's writing this from prison, and he's writing to a group of people that he's personally invested in. Uh, one of the things I always encourage you to do, maybe you want to do it later today, is just read the book of Philippians in one sitting. You're going to see people mentioned by name. He's going to speak to them in a personal way. He's going to use the pronouns I. And then in this section that we're reading from Philippians, 
It's, it's a final encouragement and a, sum, sum, a summary of all the ideas of all the things Paul wants to teach the Philippians. So let's turn there. So Philippians 4, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 9. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all that the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, what whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned, received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So before before we we go to verses 8 and 9. I want us to, to take a moment to look at the backstory that we can see in the verses 4 through 7. So what's really important for us to do when we're engaging the Bible is to really understand the audience, the original audience. So there was a church. They were in the city of Philippi, which was named after Philip the Great. And Paul had actually been a personal part of starting this church. And he's writing this letter as a letter of encouragement, but he also sees some issues that the Philippians are dealing with. The good news is, is those issues that they dealt with 2,000 years ago aren't necessarily anything different than what we're dealing with today. The first issue that they dealt with was anxiety. So you'll notice in verse 6, Paul makes the statement, he's saying this, that, that you're supposed to exchange your anxiety to prayer. You see, sometimes we read that passage, and what we think about anxiety is this, is that we need to just stop being anxious. Just stop. So that's like me telling you to stop thinking about pink elephants. You're going to think about pink elephants because I said so. But I think what Paul is saying in this passage and what he's saying in this verse is he's saying this. Instead of allowing anxiety to trap you, push it towards God into prayer. Why were the Philippians experiencing anxiety? Well, they were experiencing anxiety because Paul, first of all, was in prison. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. He was their pastor and their leader. And you can only imagine what it would feel like if, if our leader, if someone like Pastor Rob was receiving criticism. You know, if he was receiving criticism or even in, in getting some outside opposition— there's a scary point where it's like, well, what's going to happen to the church? Are we going to make it? Are we going to survive? You think about that, and this church was dealing with this outside pressure, which was bringing in anxiety. And not only did Paul deal with that, but the church itself dealt with opposition. In chapter 1, there's this interesting reference, and again, you can just write it down and read it later, that there were people that were actually preaching Jesus 
for monetary gain. They weren't doing it for the right reasons. They were only doing it so that they could make more money and for their greed. And Paul has to write and speak to this anxiety. He has to speak to a church that, that's not sure what the future holds, and they feel like everything is unknown. If we're really honest with ourselves, what makes us anxious? You know, as a church... And even thinking this year as, as Americans, 2016, if you Google it, it's like the worst year in the world. Like you would think that every article is about that. We just went through an election with a brand new president. We had, had these tragedies and we can go news story after news story. We have a lot of things that make us anxious. And even to say this, even positive things you know, you think about this, in, in November, we really focused on areas where God's calling us to grow as a church in the REACH initiative. Whenever you take steps towards growth, that causes anxiety. And it seems that, that there's some opposition and that, that the future is just unknown. And what Paul is doing in this passage is he's speaking to that. So the first thing that the Philippians were dealing with was anxiety. The second thing that they were dealing with was, was internal conflict. I want you just to take a look at verse, verses 1 and 2 of Philippians. I'm just going to mention them. Take a look at verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, for any of you women that are pregnant, I would just throw out there, Yodia and Syntyche are great female names. So if you want to go there. But there is two women in the church that had a disagreement. And you might be wondering, Peter, why is anxiety tied to conflict? Well, think about this. We rarely get into conflicts when we're at peace and at rest. Most of the time when we're at conflicts, it's when we're really busy, when we have a lot on our plate, when we're feeling the anxiety. And so what Paul does in the first verse of this chapter is he gets to the issue and he says, there's these two women that are fighting within the church. They're leaders, they're important, they're valuable, and they need to agree together. Now, here's the crazy part about this. I want you to imagine that you got a letter from Pastor Rob or any other leader, and I just read that at church right now. So what I would do is this. I would say, Karen and Sandy, I entreat you to get together and agree in the Lord. Like, that's what it sounded like. In the middle of reading this passage, of reading this to the Philippian church, Paul literally calls them out for the conflict. And he encourages them to get together and agree in the Lord. And what was happening was, because of the opposition from the outside, because of the fear and anxiety, because of this issue that we really don't know what it was, but there was causing conflict, Paul's saying this, you need to deal with that conflict. I'm about to ask this, but I, I kind of know the answer. How many of you have dealt with conflict in the last week? And he said, I spent Christmas with my family. You know, I think that we all deal with a level of conflict. We have different personalities. God wired us differently. We have different values that aren't always the big high-level values, but they're just different in the way we operate. And what happens is, is that when anxiety added to, 
to conflict, added to misunderstandings. It causes problems in the church. Here's the major idea of both of those problems. 90% of the time, the problem that we have is mostly inside of us, not outside of us. The problem that we have is mostly inside of us, not outside of us. You see, Paul knows what's going on with these people. He knows the opposition. And it's not that we're never going to deal with conflict. It's not that we're never going to deal with anxiety. But here's the truth today, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's good news to be believed, not good advice. And what the gospel does is this, is it comes into our hearts and it comes into our lives and it transforms our minds to what we think. And then it ultimately moves to our practices, the way we behave in earth. It's that rhythm in our lives that what we think determines what we practice. The, the theme verse or, or the, the, the big picture verse in Philippians, and you can write this down, is Philippians 1.27. It says this, is that walk in a manner only worthy of the gospel. So what Paul is saying, even in these three verses, and that he's repeating over and over again, is he's saying this, what happens on the inside of you will affect what happens on the outside of you. And so when you start to think about this, in, in verse 5 of, of the passage that we read, let your reasonableness, sometimes that's let your gentleness be known. What Paul is saying is, is that it's not always a problem on the outside, but it's having the frame of heart to respond when things don't go as planned or don't go the way that we think. You see, the power of the gospel, the power of God's presence and Jesus Christ in our life is this. It's not the absence of problems, but it's the fact that we can respond in a way that proves that his grace is real in us, that he's transformed our lives. So now that we've somewhat set the stage from those first three verses, I want to just make two thoughts based on verses eight and nine. So number one, and, and again, with the theme of this, what you think determines what you practice. Number one is this. Embrace the good wherever you find it. Embrace the good wherever you find it. So Paul in verse 8, he begins by saying this. Finally, brethren, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is of good report, think on these things. And he goes through a whole list of virtues. Now we read that, and, and what's lost in translation is these were the virtues of the opponents of the Philippians. You see, the people that were criticizing, the people that were causing trouble for the Philippians were the Jews, the Romans, and the Greeks is that they thought Christianity was hooky, they thought it was a problem, they thought following Jesus was weird, and there had been some trouble there. And so what Paul does is this, is he says, think on the virtues, the good that's within your enemies. Think on the good that's within your enemies. Augustine, the great Christian father, is attributed in saying this, all truth is God's truth. All truth is is God's truth. You see, sometimes when we follow Jesus, we think that we have to only consume Christian material, that, that there's this big, bad world out there, and we can't, you know, 
we have to limit the media and we have to be careful of the books that we read. And there's an element of truth to that. But here's what Paul is saying to us. When you think about the content that's in your mind, find the good wherever it is. So what does that look like in, in my life? And I just want to give you an example. So a couple, you know, so what's on, what's on Peter's bookshelf? What movies do Peter watch? I'm just going to throw it out there. I saw Star Wars, okay? I'm just going to come out there. And I didn't think it was a bad movie, you know, but I saw Rogue One. You know, I'm reading a biography of my favorite president named Calvin Coolidge by Professor Amity Shals. When it comes to music, you know, a couple weeks ago, I had a friend, like, make this comment to me. He goes, Peter, you must only listen to, like, worship music. And I was like, you know, I listen to Coldplay. Like, is that okay? <laughs> so, you know, I listen to Coldplay. There's this guy, uh, Boney Vare, that I really love, and Arcade Fire. And here's why I want to tell you this. And kind of when it comes to TV shows, I love ESPN 30 for 30. You know, I love the Goldbergs. I love the 80s. You know, I'm going to grow my afro. But here, here's, here's why this is important. We're invited to fill our minds with the good, even to people that might be against following Jesus. What are you filling your mind with? It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to have this huge Christian label on it. Because what Paul is saying is he's saying this, the, the attitude of some believers is this, is that the whole world is against them. And so everything that the world offers is horrible. And what Paul's saying, he's saying, no, 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 no. Embrace the good wherever you find it. If something is noble, if something is praiseworthy, think on these things. You see, as Christians, as followers, we should be lovers of culture. We should be lovers of art. That, that when we see pictures from Ansel Adams uh, of the Western frontier, when we see Vincent Van Gogh and Sorry Night, that we should be able to look at that and see the truth within it and have it remind us of God, that men and women are created in his image, that God is the master artist, that when we put those things into our mind, it actually changes the way that we practice. So let me ask you this, what are you consuming for some of you, I would encourage you that it's just the fact that we're, we're so addicted to social media and we're so addicted to our phones, but when was the last time you filled your mind, maybe with, with a book that's helpful, maybe walking through an art museum, maybe disconnecting? You know, for others of you, it's, it's having the courage to engage something that, that you can see the good in it and you might have some disagreements, but to think through it in such a way that it opens your mind. And you might be wondering, what are the practical implications of this? What, how is filling your mind with good stuff, whether it's Christian or non-Christian matter, or so to speak, or whatever that means? Well, let's go to the example of conflict and what that looks like. When we're in the midst of conflict and we're feeling anxiety and the problem is within us, what we do and probably what Yodia and Sintiki did was this is that we allow our feelings, which are very real, to become facts. So in, in the movie Inside Out, you know, there's that scene where one of the characters is like facts and opinions. Oh, these get mixed up all the time. 
And so what we're doing in our lives is when we have a mind that's embracing the good, we're able to look at the feelings of sometimes we're angry at people, sometimes we have issues, but we're looking at them in such a way to be able to organize them well and not tell half-truths. Here's what happens. When you and I are in the midst of conflict, we tell ourselves a story. We tell ourselves a story about the other person. They did that to hurt me. They did that because they're upset with me. And sometimes they just did it because that's the way that they're wired and they didn't even know. And so imagine if you can go to the good to that person and be able to have a conversation with them and say, you know what, you know, this, this hurt and this bothered me. I'm not sure what you intended, but can we get on the same page? As opposed to going at someone like a husband or, or a wife or a friend or someone in your small group and saying to them, you did this because you wanted to hurt me. See, the difference is, is that what we begin to do with anxiety, what we begin to do with conflict, is we begin to see it the way that Jesus has intended for us to see it, that it's an issue on the inside of us, but we can respond differently because of what he's done inside of us. So number one, embrace the good wherever you find it. And then number two, practice the model before you. Practice the model before you, or practice what's modeled practice what's modeled. So Paul uses four words, what you've learned, what you've received, what you've seen, and, what, and what's been practiced in front of you. Imitate me. It's in verse 9. So I, I want you to notice something. Paul is not telling them to do anything new. See, if you read all throughout the Old Testament, if you read through all throughout the Old Testament, you know, Moses in Deuteronomy, he's constantly telling the people of God this, remember what you've learned, remember what you've seen, remember what you've received. And Jesus is saying the same thing to his disciples. Jesus is saying this, remember what you've learned, what you've received, and then Jesus models it to his people. He devotes his life to 12 followers where he not only teaches, but his words match his actions. And Paul is doing this here. He's not saying, well, you know what you got to do? You got to just do this whole new thing. No, what Paul is saying to these people is this, you know what to do. You know what you've seen. You know what you've heard put that into practice. You see, there comes a moment in our lives when what's inside of us, what we believe about Jesus has to match with Monday through Saturday. That when people begin to look at our lives, that what you believe is what you practice, what you think determines what you practice. That as we look at our lives, as we look at where we invest our time, as we look at where we invest our money, as we look at how we invest in relationships, that there's this, this picture and this thing that we can see that Jesus Christ has worked within us. I want to come back to anxiety for a moment. My my wife's a counselor, and, and she's taught me a lot, so I'm just going to throw that out there. But one of the things that she'll always say to me is when I'm in the midst of meeting with someone that's anxious, what you do is this, is you simplify what you say, and you speak in a soft and helpful tone. When I look at verse 9, 
that's what I see Paul doing. Paul knows about the anxieties that the Philippians are facing. He knows about the conflicts that they're facing too. But what he also knows is this. He knows that Jesus Christ is greater than any conflict. He knows that Jesus Christ is greater than any anxiety. Does that always remove it? Absolutely not. But that changes the way we respond to it. And so what he says in a simplistic way, in a reminder, don't forget what you've learned. Don't forget what you've seen modeled. Don't forget what you've received. God is at work. So, here, here's the deal. When it comes to practicing faith, when it comes to getting to know Jesus, you, may, you might be wondering, well, what does that look like on a Monday through Saturday? And hopefully you hear this every week that you're at Browncroft. You know, what that looks like is this, is that, you know, we hope that you're here every Sunday that you can be here. There's something powerful about practicing community worship, seeing the body of believers, seeing the family of God together. We hope that you're connected to a small group, that each week that there's 10 to 12 people in your life that you're committed to, that you're speaking truth with grace, that you're encouraging and you're challenging them to grow. Personally, you know, that, that you would engage God's word in such a way that, that it's, it's making a difference in your heart and your life that you're praying, that you're not living with your mind going in all different directions, but you're allowing that to focus towards what's really happening in your heart. And there's various other practices. And again, some of us, you know, we, we hear about these and they're brand new. The good news is they've been modeled to us since Jesus. Jesus had 12 followers when he was in a small group. Jesus prays. And what we see in Philippians is that Paul prays for the Philippians. He models giving. He models generosity. And the Philippians actually model it back. And so what Paul is saying to them is he's saying this, going back to Philippians 1.27, is that live a life worthy of the gospel. Live a life that is connected to what Christ is doing in you so that you can live it outside of you is that as Christ radically changes our hearts and our lives, we can begin to experience that in our homes, in our workplaces, in the people around us, that they would begin to see what Christ is doing in us. This week, uh, I was talking to Pastor Rob about this message, and he just sent me a super encouraging email, and I asked for his permission to, to read a portion of what he said, and and he said this, and I think it's important for us to hear. Going to heaven is one thing, but having a true experience with God's grace and power doesn't come to people who practice their faith part-time. If you put it into practice, the God of peace will be with you. I think what Paul is pointing to, what Pastor Rob is pointing to, what what hopefully is the challenge to all of us that, that's pointing to is this, is that following Jesus is every part of our life, and it changes the way we practice. It's not just an intellectual ascent, and it's not just making things happen without realizing what's going on outside of us. It's not just practicing without thoughtfulness or without realizing the motivations of our heart, but what Jesus wants to do is he wants to— change our life in such a way that we experience meaning, that we experience fullness, and that we grow in a continual process to know him. 
So the small group question that's in your bulletin, it says, what will you practice in 2017? What will you practice in 2017? So I want to go back to 2006 in my life. What I would have said to Peter of 2006 is I would have said, simplify first of all. You don't need 17 things. And probably what I would have told Peter is this, is I would have said, you know, you have a lot going on under the surface that you're not recognizing right now. Anxiety, you're worried about the future, you're worried if things are going to work out, and that's actually spilling over into your relationships. You have some insecurity, and, and you're trying to find your identity in what you do, but you can only find your identity in who Jesus Christ is. So what's changed in my life in the last 11 years? About four years ago when I met my wife, Robin, she had me do this practice, and maybe some of you do this here. She said, you know, I pick a word for the year. So I've done that the last four years, and um, so two years ago I chose the word patience, and um, God gave me a lot of patience. And then last year, um, you know, the word that kept coming back to me just in conversations was the word humility. And, um, you know, that was a pretty powerful word for the year to realize that there were some issues that I was trying to be right in, that it really wasn't right or wrong, but I was trying to understand another person. And so for this year, as I've kind of prayed and thought through, you know, what's that one word? And that one word for me has been contentment. And so here's what I observe and notice about my life is 90% could be going so well, but the 10% is what I focus on. The 10% of, you know, we're not there yet with this issue or this person said something that was really critical and, and I just can't get it out of my head and, and, you know, I've done this or I've done that and it doesn't feel like this. And, you know, I've, I've just been really challenged by Scripture about how, how when we come to contentment to know that God is working and he doesn't always need our help and he's inviting us to partner with him. So let me tell you how that also plays out. Is when you, when you focus on a word like contentment, I'm looking at my life in this lens, is that when you think about practices that help you experience contentment, you think about fasting, to actually give up food. Because a lot of times what we do with food is this, is we don't use it to fill our needs, we use it to, to fill our wants. And we go to food when we're happy, and we go to food when we're upset, and we use food in an area that it's never, and we have to begin to ask ourselves, why am I so dependent on that? You think about the practice of silence to help us experience contentment. We live with a ton of noise in our life. We live trying to make everything happen on our own. We always have music going. We have podcasts going. And even with me in my life, like I just, I always have ESPN radio on, and as a Jets fan, this past week watching the Bills is just great, but I'm not allowed to say that up here. But anyways, you know, but I'm challenged to, maybe there's times when I sit in the car and I don't let the music play or the radio play, but I actually take time to just be with God. So as you saw in the bumper video, if you wanna grab your bulletin, 
I want you to kind of go through the same experience for this year. And so the small group's question says, what practices will you pursue in 2017? If you have your bulletin, you can take the, the tear-off card. I want you all just to rip it out. Read 365 is our Bible reading plan for the year. And this year, we've done um, an update to it. But for the first week of this year, we really want to put this passage literally in practice. And if you look behind it, it has a little reading plan for this week. And what that has to do with is this, is we want you to engage practices to help you create space with God. We want you to engage practices that help you connect what's going on in your heart and mind. And so this year, you might, like me, choose a word, and, and what you might want to do is match those practices to the change that you want God to do in your life. So we have today, the practice was Sabbath. Tomorrow, it's silence. We have confession and fasting. And each day, and some of you who subscribe to Read 365, you get these emails every single day that there's a video that goes with it. There's a passage that you read. And, and the whole point of it is this, is we want 2017 to be a year that we practice life change in what Jesus Christ has done for us. What we think determines what we practice. By embracing the good in our mind, we can begin to see changes in our thought patterns. And then by practicing what's modeled, what's been modeled to us by Jesus, what's been modeled to us by Paul, what's been modeled for the last 2,000 years, these practices aren't anything new. People have been doing them for thousands of years, but what they allow us to experience is God's grace in our life. And instead of trying to come up with something new, instead of trying to do things in a way that, that really causes more complication, what the Christian life looks like is this, find where God's working in your life and go through that momentum instead of trying to go in another direction. If we took this week to focus on the issues of our hearts and our lives and what we think, imagine what God can do in you this year. Today, we're going to close the year by, I think, no better way is we're going to practice communion. The reason we practice communion together is this, is it's a reminder to us of what Jesus has done for us. So the reason we take communion together as a church is this, it's not only a reminder of the forgiveness and the acceptance that we've received in Jesus, but it's a reminder of the forgiveness and acceptance that Jesus has given to the people that are sitting next to us and around us. So today, as we focus on our hearts and attention, what you're going to want to do is maybe just pray and say, God, what areas in my life need to change this year? And how can you help me get there? And think about the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ.